Welcome to the Sunday Afternoon Podcast with Greg Reese. Today is August 13th, 2023, Sunday, and uh, I am uh, recording this from the Florida Panhandle, America, USA. Hope you guys are all doing well. Hope you guys are doing great, actually. I thank you. I thank all of you for your support. I thank all of you um, for your prayers. Some of you remember a few weeks ago, a few weeks back, a few weeks back, I said I have some health issues and I asked for prayer. And, uh, and I got a nice warm response. And in fact, I remember one of someone wrote something about uh, praying to avoid surgery so that surgery isn't necessary or something. You win. That's, that's, that's the good news. I, um, I had a, a missed self-diagnosis. <laughs> not, a, not a huge surprise, I suppose. Uh, surgery is not needed. It's an issue that can be dealt with through natural means. So I'm very happy. Um, I'm very grateful for people that showed some love and put some prayers out there. Power of prayer is a real thing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, for everyone, for every one of us on earth uh, experiencing this time right now. For everything, for every living soul that is incarnated right now in this beautiful realm of yours, dear God. Please bless us all with your grace. Thank you. Help us to learn to be stronger and better versions of ourselves and to progress and to grow and to learn. Uh, Let thy will be done. Thank you, God. Amen. So that was last week. Last week was, uh, turned out to be a very kind of uh, rough week just because they had to shoot some stuff in my veins for the CT scan that um, the, the experience itself wasn't that bad, but the, uh, the recovery was just, just tired, lethargic, I suppose you could say. So not a big deal, but very good news. Very grateful for that. I've avoided, like I've said before, when I talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, I've avoided the doctor religiously since I got out of the Marine Corps, basically, when, you know, you don't have choices and things. Probably went 30 years up until recently. And uh, I went to the doctor kind of braced to find problems and turned out I'm pretty healthy. So not a big surprise knowing what we know now about doctors and medicine and stuff. So always go with your gut, I guess, is the moral of that lesson. But anyways... No surgery. Basically, what that means that I can pretty much go on avoiding the doctor from indefinitely now. Like I've checked out my potential issues, and as a as a as a aging man, and um, time to up the ante on self discipline. 
and uh, health and self-care and stuff like that. So anyways, I won't bore you with the details of all that, but uh, I hope we all are doing that. I hope we're all uh, increasing our health. Uh, before we get into today, I think today's going to be a good one. You guys are going to like today. Today's uh, was inspired by the, the dreadfully bad news report I put out a couple ago about nanotech. <clears throat> but uh, just a one more thing, I guess, an admin, on the admin side um, is uh, methylene blue. I've talked about methylene blue um, once, I think, before. When I, I just started, I just mentioned it after doing some research. I've found more research. I'm now suggesting that you look into it. And um, one of the things I'm finding is it's, it's um, they're saying it's very good for dealing with the situation that we're dealing with with these vaccines and these nanotechs and all this COVID stuff, for one. A lot of people are making claims like that. But here's the thing about methylene blue. Turns out it, it's a dye. Okay, it's a blue dye. And it's a very good dye. So if you spill it on things, you're going to have to have things to clean it up with. And uh, I remember at first, my uneducated mind, when it comes to medicine, was put off by that. I'm like, oh, a dye? It turns out a medicine dye? But it turns out it's actually the oldest drug used as a medicine ever. Pretty interesting. It predates, um, it predates uh, the, the uh, petro petrochemical pharmaceutical era. It goes back to when medicine was real medicine. And so the whole dye thing, I guess in my mind, I was imagining like modern world situation. They had this dye and then they're like, oh, it turns out it's a good medicine. No, it was like, over, it was like a long time ago, like over 100 years ago, they discovered it had these properties as a medicine. And I, I think even back then it was regarded as like a miracle, like, it, wow, this thing's good for everything. And... Uh, yeah, there's a book on it. It's a quick read. I highly recommend it. I've been using it. There's a, there's a movie, I believe it's called... Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's an old rom-com with Nicolas Cage, Italian movie. And uh, Moonstruck, I believe, is the movie. Moonstruck. I think that's it. It might even be my fat Greek wedding. I don't know. It's some rom-com, and the father sprays Windex on everything because Windex is his fixes-everything thing. Anyways, doesn't matter. The only reason I mention that is because that has become my methylene blue. Methylene blue is now, like, if I get a cut, I put methylene blue on, and I, I swear to God that thing works incredible on a cut. I have, uh, this is kind of gross, but whatever. I have a... Toe on my left foot that's had toe fungus for um, for a while. Uh, what I found in my experience as a human being is if you injure a toe and a toenail, if you injure it in some way, it makes it <clears throat> somehow it makes it um, susceptible to fungus. So, anyways, it's hard to get anyone who's dealt with this kind of thing. It's hard to get rid of, especially if you're not into doing like all kinds of chemical stuff. If you try to go into the natural route. It's not that easy. So anyways, the other day I said, I'm going to put some methylene blue on there. And sure enough, it's pretty much gone. I'm going to put a second round on it 
Uh, but I don't even know if it needs a second round. So anyways, look into it. It's good stuff. I'm about to restock up on it. It's not that expensive. You want to get the laboratory grade or the edible grade, something like that. It's pretty clear. I get, I get my stuff off of Amazon if you're not totally opposed to shopping with Jeff Bezos. <clears throat> Anyways, one more bit is uh, a couple other podcasts back. I mentioned an article that was talking smack on Sasha Stone. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. And a friend of mine reached out to me and asked me for the article. I sent the article and they told me that Sasha, it's a BS article. So what I learned is I'm a little too mouthy on these podcasts. As some of you long listeners are well aware of that. So I'm going to try to change that. That's one of the things I'm going to do to improve myself uh, moving forward. And so then today's podcast reflects it. We're about 10 minutes and I'm about to get right into it because, because I got a lot of notes and it's a good one. But, um, yeah, from, from what I hear, uh, and I'm not even, here's the thing. I don't even really know who Sasha Stone is. I've heard the name a few times through people I know. Um, and I didn't even read that article. <laughs> it was just someone who does good research that I appreciate that was sending me a bunch of stuff that they were going fresh with them. So they weren't even making claims either. They were just digging through all this stuff about the coming one world religion, which is very, you know, I was talking about that, which is what I think this is all about. I think that's what this, I think all of this is, is planned out social engineering, human herding techniques, bringing us towards this. Uh, the one world religion is sort of sneaking up in the background. That's the giveaway. And um, anyways, I was just interested in that, and I just casually mentioned this article that I didn't even read about a actual person who I don't even know anything about. And so that's just, that's some mouthy behavior. <laughs> you know? I'm sure I'm, I mumble and rumble like that one-on-one -on -one with a friend, but I shouldn't even do that because that's not good information. I shouldn't, that's like wasting a person's time with incoherent bad information so i apologize for that and i'm going to learn my lesson and i'm going to say it was laziness from now on i'm going to prepare more interesting podcasts i'm going to evolve all right so i anyways <clears throat> that's it for the admin stuff all right today's story i'm calling it food of the gods I'm sure some of you guys have know about this story, the, the white powdered gold, orms. I'm sure I've talked about it before too. But I did some, I had to go to back and do my research because it's been years. And... Um, and I was like, wow, yeah, this is good. So even if you have heard this stuff, it's going to be fun. It was for me again this morning. I was like, oh, yeah, there's, this is really interesting stuff. 
I'm really surprised that this story isn't talked about more. Like if you go online to research it, if you, if you don't have the proper search terms, you're not going to find anything. You're certainly not going to find anything recent. You're going to go, you're going to go back to when mostly when this guy, uh, Lawrence Gardner wrote a book about the Ark of the Covenant. He did his rounds selling that book. So there's a lot of, you'll see videos of him at book clubs selling it and a lot of researchers covering it. And it all checks out like, like it's not a made up story. Everything we're going to cover today is sourced. You can, you, I just found it all this morning. Like I said, you got you to know how to search the internet these days, but I should have enough. Everything in this podcast should give you enough search terms to dig into this more. Or you can look up the Lawrence Gardner book. I'll tell you exactly what it's called right now. That's a one-stop shop probably for most of what I'm going to cover today. Um, Lost Secrets of the Sacred Ark by Lawrence Gardner. But in that book, he's got footnoted and, and linked all the, all the stuff. It's very interesting, very interesting. So I will be doing a research report on this probably for September. <clears throat> Today, we're just going to go over the details. All right, let's get into it. So uh, the story I'm going to start, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to start off in the 1970s. This is kind of where the meat and potatoes of this whole thing comes in. <clears throat> in the 1970s, a farmer, I think a third-generation farmer named David Hudson, who had a 1,300-acre uh, cotton farm in Phoenix that... He had multiple farms, but this was a family farms, I believe. This, he had this 13-acre property that couldn't grow cotton on it because it had a thing called black alkali, which is basically like a chocolatey dark salt. And you could sprout the cotton, the cotton would grow up to a certain point, and then it would just die. <clears throat> And there isn't much you can do with it, I guess. So he got into the experimental process. And there was a, there was a place an hour or two, a couple hours away that was uh, selling off like sulfuric acid cheap. This is according to his story. And so he's like, oh, I'll try that. And there is a process behind it. So, But he was getting 93% sulfuric acid and putting in about 30 tons of it per acre and then adding water through irrigation. Once you do that, I guess you're, 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 you're seeding all this land, this dirt with sulfuric acid, and then once you add the water, it, that's where it becomes volatile, and it starts foaming up and a reaction occurs. And what it does is it's turning the, uh, the junk, it's turning this um, black alkali into sodium sulfate, which they can then wash out. <clears throat> Just like how if you can't, you know, you can't wash grease with water, you got to add soap to break it up and then you can wash it. Same kind of deal, similar comparison, right? 
that was the plan that they were doing, trying to get rid of this black alkali. Through this process, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't able to fix the problem. Okay, so there's that. But th this is important because this is, th this is, okay. David Hudson, this farmer with the 13-acre cotton farm, basically he accidentally, while trying to fix his soil, he kind of accidentally figured out the process of how to turn gold into another form of gold in the 1970s, all right? And so that's how he did it. He was trying to fix this black alkali. So the first thing he did was he mixed all this sulfuric acid, tons of it, 30 tons per acre. And then that didn't work. And then later on, there was a, there was a process of leaching gold with cyanide. And um, he was aware, as many people are aware, that gold is, is pretty prevalent in small quantities everywhere. Some areas have more of it than others. The problem is, is getting it, right? Because the amount of energy and therefore money involved in getting that amount of gold that makes it worth it, it doesn't add up, right? It's more expensive to get the gold. So he decided, oh, since I can't do anything else with this land, I'm going to try uh, cyanide gold leaching, right? So he set up this 1,300 acres for gold leaching with cyanide. And the process was, was working fine, except in the final product, when they were supposed to be getting out pure gold, they kept getting this mysterious substance that was sort of sticking to the gold. It wouldn't mix out. It caused them a lot of problems with the assays when they would have this stuff tested. It wasn't testing as gold, whatever this substance was, but it, wasn't, it, could, it would not leave the gold. <clears throat> So uh, David Hudson started, <clears throat> started doing his own research and, and um, ended up getting a book, I think from Germany or, or some book called Plat about platinum group elements. <clears throat> Did his own research. And um, started testing it himself. And what he was finding <clears throat> was that it was... Uh, Whatever it was, it wasn't testing as gold. It was testing more like silica. And um, eventually had enough interest from outside where it, this thing got picked up by multiple laboratories. One in Austin, Texas, the Institute for Advanced Studies in Austin, Texas. They... Um, I think they were the first ones to get their hands on it, and they labeled it, and they called it exotic matter. That's how they define the stuff. It was, uh, it was, it was. They didn't know what it was. It wasn't anything they've ever seen before. And um, It ended up getting researched. Then they passed it on to Cornell, General Electric. Well, actually, General Electric came across it while they were developing superconductors. And um, 
the Soviet Academy of Sciences. Decades ago, right? This is all happening decades ago. <clears throat> okay, so what they did find is that a lot of people will call this monatomic gold. That's what I called it for after I read this book. For years, I would call it monatomic gold. That comes from orbitally rearranged monatomic element, O-R-M-E. That's another search term that you're going to find. Now, these are also going to take you down rabbit holes of a lot of false claims, but not necessarily. Not ne I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. But this is, it's going to go down a lot of claims, a lot of woo-woo stuff too. Orms, O-R-M-E-S. I guess what I mean by that is I personally, I, when I was living in Hawaii the first time, I was living on a person's property um, in a cabin, and this person was selling what they claimed to be orms online on their website, and all it was was they were jarring up water out of the volcano steam vents. They had steam vents, and they were collecting that steam and bottling it and selling it as orms. <clears throat> now, I, I think it probably did have orms, this gold stuff in there, because it's everywhere. It's in this guy's 13-acre cotton field in Phoenix, and, that's, and, and it's, it's how... It, 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 anyways, it's, it's all over the place. But I don't think this person like had it tested in a lab or anything like that. I think they just came to the educated guess that I am right now of saying, yeah, well, this stuff's everywhere. I'm just going to bottle up, bottle it up out of the back and sell it as orms. And on the jar, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say it's just straight out of the... So anyways, <clears throat> I found that to be a little shady. That's all I'm saying. You're going you're gonna to run into some stuff, and but that's just me. So... Um... <clears throat> Basically, what they found is that it's... Okay, so monatomic is single atom. That's what that means. Monatomic is single atom. And for a while, the, the, the rumor was that this white powdered gold, each grain of powder is one atom. And... Uh, that's obviously not true. So it's, but what it is, is it's a cluster, for lack of a better word, a cluster of atoms because the white powder gold is gold in a, in a state where all the bonds are gone and all that's left are the gold, the, the pure gold atoms. And as it turns out, in the process of, of studying this exotic matter, they, they learned that you could break gold apart at the bonds and that the bonds that hold it together are the only metallic part of the gold. So once you break away those metallic bonds, what you're left with is this extremely fine white powder that's technically pure gold, really, if you 
if you you know when you when you look at a diagram and you look at what's going away, what's going away are there just these bonds, and so for a while it was believed on the street, casual readers like me that each grain of this powder is one of these pure gold atoms, but that's not true. It's just mysteriously clustered together. Without the bonds, it falls into this white powder state. Um, I've never handled this stuff, but the way it's described, it's almost described in a way that you're not going to find like a single grain. So maybe it is. Maybe that is, maybe that is true. That it, uh, point being is it's extremely fine. It's a finer powder than, than anything that we know of, according to these labs that have studied it. And um, it is a state of gold. <clears throat> you know, like you can melt gold and it's in a liquid state. You can, when it, hard, when it cools, it hardens into a metallic state. And you can break the bonds apart and get rid of those metallic bonds and you're left with a non-metallic white powder substance. Pretty interesting, right? <clears throat> and this is all um, been studied and documented by at least four labs, very reputable labs. Institute for, like I said, in Institute for Advanced Studies in Austin, Texas, Cornell, a Soviet lab, and General Electric. So, and, and it hasn't even gotten interesting yet. Now it's about to get interesting. Well, I guess we'll segue, actually. Yeah, we're going to segue back into the past. So that was in the 1970s. Back in 1904, I'm looking through my notes. Back in, here we go. Back in 1904, there was a temple discovered on Mount Sinai in Egypt. And in this temple, they found tons of, of this white powder that they didn't know what it was. It was back in 1904. And it seemed as if this entire temple was, was a factory making this stuff, making this powder. Whatever the temple was, it was based, it was all about this powder. In ancient Mesopotamia, there are there's a powder they call shamana. And in Egypt, they call it mufkat. I might be saying it wrong. Both Mesopotamia calls it shamana. Egypt calls it mufkat. Egypt has pictures of it, several, several pictures. Mufkat they describe as a magical powder. It's described in ancient Egypt as having healing properties, longevity, 
levitation, teleportation. They describe the field of Mufkat, implying as if there's a field around the Mufkat. And traditionally, they describe the Mufkat being formed into these conical-shaped cakes and fed to the pharaohs, those, I guess, lucky enough to consume this magical Mufkat. Or I don't know if you want to or not. Maybe maybe you're not into magical powders. (laughs) But they called it bread. And it was even written about in ancient texts that this bread is actually a powder, uh, and they just call it a bread. And and you can see that uh, you can you can imagine a fine powder. We're talking about the super fine powder. If you were going to consume it in a pure in a pure form, that's what you would do. You would have to shape it into these little. <clears throat> they fit in the palm of your hand. They look like a like a pile of powder pushed together into a cone so it kind of holds together. And you can see they would, in the pictures of them holding it in their palm, you can see that's how they would eat it. They would just put, put the palm right to their mouth. Conical shape so it doesn't spill over, you know, or it has to by law, you know, that's the only way it's going to hold together a big mound of it. And um, <clears throat> then in 1904, they discover this temple that's got a bunch of this, looks like a Mufkat factory. So now they got all this Mufkat, tons of it. I'm not exactly sure where it ended up. This was back in 1904. I would not be surprised if the Smithsonian has it or someone has it, but someone's got all that Mufkat. It might even be consumed by now. Um, another interesting tidbit here is, let me not get ahead of myself, hold on, uh, yeah, so that's, a. we have writings from ancient Mesopotamia that describe this powder, they call it Shimana, ancient Egypt, described as powder, they call it Mufkat. And in the Bible, there is uh, in Exodus 32, the golden calf, right? The people took all their gold and they created this golden calf and they were worshiping this golden calf. And, um, and so what was done with it? Uh, as a the calf was then was then taken it was mixed with fire the gold was taken it was mixed with fire it was transmuted into powder and fed to the Israelites that's a a translation, but it's an accurate translation. You're going to find 
in Exodus 32, the gold was taken, it was mixed with fire, it was ground into powder, it was put into the water, which was then given to the Israelites. To, so it was fed to the Israelites. But if you're, gonna, if you're going to... If you're going to um, mix gold with fire and melt it, then you can't ground it into powder. Now, this is an important time to mention how you make the stuff. Um, David Hudson was able to get there through sulfuric acid and cyanide um, uh, finding uh, through tons and tons of dirt, right? He was taking tons and tons of dirt and processing it, looking for gold, and came up with this stuff through a process of sulfuric acid and cyanide. If you want to get there from pure gold, if you got a gold coin and you want to turn it into, into powder into this kind of powder. You do it through an electrical arc. And uh, that's part of the process, is applying uh, an, an arc, an electrical arc to the stuff. I believe that is what breaks the bonds. There's more to the process than just that. But the reason I mention that is because I mean, that's, that could be considered fire, could, could it not? It was mixed with fire, turned into a powder, and fed to the Israelites. There's an old Greek Bible, an old Greek translation of the Bible, one of the oldest translations of the Bible, that describes this powder as the bread of the presence The, the priests, the so-called priests of ancient Egypt were called artificers, artificers. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Which actually translates as worker and specifically as metal worker. And a lot of people have argued that the proper translation of worship is workship. And that these temples, maybe even, maybe even the pyramids, were factories where they turned gold into mukfat. <clears throat> Why did I even pick this story? <laughs> I probably should have led with that. I picked this story because the... Um, it's in the headlines now. Well, it's not in the headlines at all, but it's in the news with these nanotech circuitry stuff that people who have gotten the vaccine seem to be forming in their bodies. Preliminary tests have shown that gold in solution, colloidal gold, which is different. That's a whole different form of gold than what we're talking about, but it is gold, that that is dissolving the nanotech. There's a video of this. Uh, I found uh, you can find the video on uh, if you just search if you search Substack, Doctor Mielcia's Substack 
for gold, you'll find it. And I think what they're doing is they're just taking the samples of the vaccine and adding gold to that. I don't know what they're, I don't know, or maybe they're doing it to blood samples, but you can see on video, as soon as they add the gold, it just d disappeared, dissolves all the nanotech. So I was like, I was like, wow. So actually, once I saw that, I went online, I started looking up colloidal gold, <clears throat> researching it. And it made me think of, um, it didn't make me think of this white gold that we're talking about today at first, but it made me right away think of Sumerian texts, right? The Anunnaki, the Anunnaki, the ones who from heaven to earth came, the ones who genetically modified the indigenous species of, of earth to create who we are today through trial and error of genetic manipulation, their motivation for doing all that was to create a slave class, a better, to make us more efficient to mine gold for them. That's the story. That's the problem. Technically, you might be able to say that's the oldest story on earth. It predates the Bible. It predates all spiritual scripture. I believe the Sumerian texts are the allegedly, officially, the oldest texts on earth for what that's worth. And that's what they say. They say that um, it was all about the gold. That was their, that was why they were here. They were on a mission. That was their whole presence on earth. Their whole purpose was for the gold. Uh, and these are allegedly the reptilians. So the reptilians eat gold or whatever. They don't, whatever. I don't know what they do with the gold, but when you're, when you're digging into here, it shed some light on the subject. So, I was like, well, that's interesting if gold is the remedy to the vaccine. If colloidal gold in solution is effective, then I wonder what monatomic, what orbitally rearranged monatomic element gold is like. So that's what made me... That's what brought me around here. And gold is also like the way it's the just in the economy alone, the way it's it's very interesting stuff. It's um okay, so moving on. Let me make sure I don't forget the uh The um, alchemy, the alchemists, the alchemists back in their day were highly respected scientists and chemists as well funded as anyone else. It's really just a modern day that has labeled them as alchemists who were in, in the idea of the philosopher's stone as being this sort of crackpot idea of turning lead 
into gold. But that's not that's not what it was. That's not what it appears to be. In a sixteen sixty seven book called Secrets Revealed that was published in 1667, written by, uh, I can't pronounce the guy's name, I'm not even going to try, but a renowned master chemist of his time, now considered an alchemist and a philosopher. He describes the Philosopher's Stone. They did, in fact, call it the Philosopher's Stone, and he explains in this book, The Secrets Revealed, that the only reason they call it, it's not a stone, it's a powder. They, they call it, a, they say that they, 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 they refer to it as a stone because of this strange state or uh, this strange, you know, the unexplainable aspect of how, and, it, and it, it's derived from stone, from gold. But he writes in this book that it is a, a fine white powder. Another renowned alchemist, now, now defined as an alchemist, back in his day defined as a chemist, in 1416, that's a long time ago, if you're to believe history, he writes about the Philosopher's Stone that it, he says, our stone is gold, a fine powder of gold. So they're describing you know, hundreds of years ago, this fine powder of gold as the philosopher's stone. That's what they're saying alchemy was all about, was turning gold into this white powder. They certainly had sulfuric acid and cyanide back then to do it. And they might have even had an ark. Richard, uh, Lawrence, I'm sorry, Lawrence Richards, the writer of this book, Lost Secrets of the Sacred Ark, Lawrence Gardner, that's his name, Lawrence Gardner. Uh, that's where he brings it around to is that the Ark of the Covenant was actually a machine that could create an electrical arc that could turn that could turn this gold you know, it was a machine to turn gold into mukfa mufkat the magical powder gold now i mean that's interesting stuff like um the yahweh yod yodhe vadhe in the Bible is described as when when it, having a desire for gold and also for having the ark around him. I don't know him is the right word. Having always close to the ark, always had the ark nearby, had a special place for it. Slept in the same tent as the ark. And 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 demanded gold. Right? That's interesting. They called it 
the um, food of the light body. This is also from Egypt. Paradise stone. And it was described as being, it could be as light as a feather and it could be as heavy as, I don't know how, they, how exactly how it was described, but they, they described it as saying the weight could change in the ancient writings, how the way this was describing, through images even. And if you look at these ancient Egypt images, they do have these big, giant, electrical-looking devices that they're holding, right? Anyone who's looked into this, they almost look like giant light bulbs. Like old light bulbs, that's what they look like. But now, when you think about this arc, I mean, how do you do it today? And today, you're basically two different, I don't exactly know, but you're two different pieces of metal, right, that are coming together that are charged differently, and you create this electrical arc in between. It really is actually fairly simple electronics. <clears throat> Um, okay, so anyways, now it gets interesting. In 2002, now we're going to get back up into the, into the future, right? We're going back to the future, right? We started off in the 1970s. We went back to 1904, we went back to ancient Egypt, we went back to Mesopotamia, then we went back to the 1600s. Now we're scooching back up to 2002. Now there are multiple labs testing this stuff. It's, it's made its rounds. Not a lot, obviously, because we'd have heard about it a lot more, right? But it's made its rounds to, as I've mentioned, at this point it's made its rounds to the Austin Lab of Advanced Research, the Cornell General Electric Soviet. In 2002, they did lab tests where they fed people this stuff. It was a small study. I think it was just like a dozen folks. But the results they described as staggering. And they went into detail and they said that this stuff immediately brought the brain into perfect balance. And it immediately increased everyone in the in the test, their their abilities and their intelligence, everything about them became noticeably um, increased in a positive way as far as uh, brain intelligence and brain performance. Interesting stuff. That was what, twenty years ago? When the labs take this stuff out into the sunshine, and the reason they did this was they did this early on just to dry it because they had lots of, they had large quantities of it from uh, Phoenix. And what they found was they would, when they would bring it out into the sunlight, the sunshine, it exploded. But explosion isn't a proper word because it disappeared, like there was no debris. So it was like a, it was, it, the explosion was like a flash. They described it as thousands of flash bulbs going off. That's how they described how bright it was and, 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 the, and had the appearance of an explosion. But the 
powder was then gone. And this is documented in um, communications between these labs, like checking in with each other, like, are you aware of the fact that sunshine makes this stuff disappear in a flash of light? Cornell University tested it, and initially, or I think they they finally labeled it as pure nothing. At first, they were they were labeling 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 it as uh, silica and iron and aluminum, but then they realized that they were testing it wrong. They were able to purify it by getting rid of that, and they did that through arc using an arc. And um, and then they were finally, when they were left with the fine white powder, they, they said, this is nothing. This is pure nothing. In other words, we don't know what it is. The Soviet Academy of Sciences in the 1980s, so we're backing up a bit, but the 1980s, they, uh, they used an arc, arc electroscopy. And found every platinum group metal within it. I'm not a chemist, so I don't know what that means, but it sounds interesting. (laughs) Apparently that's um, just adds to the strangeness. It's just a quality it has. And they found them through a process of of basically burning it through this arc. So it was like one after the other. And when you when we get on with this conversation, think about that. It could be a, it could have been transforming magically for lack of a better word. Advanced technologically, right? Or advanced science, whatever. General Electric um, with communi- uh, communications with Austin Advanced Institute of, Te- uh, of Research, they were talking about it um, being able to control the disappearing of it, right? You can bring it in the sun and it'll flash and disappear. And that's weird. And what they did was... And General Electric came, came across this accidentally through their process of making sup, uh, superconductors, right? Because superconductors are all about cooling things down and it has a lot to do with temperature. And so through this process, um, General Electric had their hands on this mukfat, mufkat, whatever, you know, this white powder gold. And they were able to, by, by cooling it, they were able to increase its weight by up to 700 times. So they can make it 700 times heavier than it was by increasing, by, by cooling, uh, cooling it, right? <laughs> Heating it made it um, not just uh, lighter, but negative weight. 
and this is also documented in their research, they found that by heating it, it would not only make it negative weight, but it would carry the pan with it, right? There's a pan on the scale. There's a scale, and then on the top of the scale, you're going to take a light container that you will then, you know, zero the scale to so that you could put your substance in it to weigh it. So it should be zero, and then you put the product on. That's how you start. And then when they heated it, it would go negative in weight every time. And so what they found was that it not only um, would levitate, <laughs> but it would carry the pan with it. It, would, it, the, it passed on the levitation qualities to its host, by simply heating it. It's pretty nuts, isn't it? And it was described by the ancients as having sort of levitative properties. Pretty weird, right? They also... There's correspondence between these labs on studies they did to try to figure out what was happening when it disappeared. Like, there is correspondence going back and forth, like, do you think, is it going somewhere, or is it just turning invisible? Like, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with invisibility or multiple dimensions? And so they had an idea, pretty simple idea, where they would, I believe in it, I think it was, Heating it would make it, if you heated it to a certain point, it would disappear. And so what they would do is they would then heat it till it would disappear, and then they would rake the area where it was, right? So they'd have a pile of white powder on a plate. They'd heat the room, heat the area. White powder would go negative weight, disappear, and then the tray that was negative weight, but still there. I don't think I read anything that was saying the, the tray would disappear. The tray would just start levitating. They would then take the rake and rake that, what appeared to be an empty, empty tray. They would run a rake on it. And then they brought the temperature back to normal to where the powder would then be back on the tray. And they did that. The, the idea was, was that if... If it's just invisible, then we should see rake marks when it comes back. And if there's no rake marks, then that would tell us it's actually going somewhere else into another dimension. And so what they found was that there were no rake marks. So what they deduced was that it, it was not invisibility. It was actually somehow going into another dimension where it was able to then be brought back simply by temperature change. The studies have shown that this white powder is something between a solid and a gas. It's, it's an unknown. Somewhere, it's been described as somewhere between a solid and a gas. I, uh, when I first read this book and went down this research rabbit hole, I can be obsessive as hell about things. 
I suppose that's what's made me a good researcher. I've pushed through the hard, you know, whatever. I've learned how to do it through obsession. But um, I was going to make this stuff on my own. I was obsessed with it. I I want to do it again now. I still can't afford it now, but I actually might be able to. If, If we get through this and I get that house on the hill that I dream about, and uh, if our economy kind of cooks up again, I could, I could see affording to build a lab and do this. It, it was too much for me back then. I think the price tag was it was only like forty thousand dollars, thirty thousand maybe. If you get your stuff used, if you get your used equipment used, maybe twenty five thousand. Uh, that's um, still a lot of money. But back then, this was like um, 2008, 2009 when I was researching this and obsessing over it. Back then, it was, you know, it was undoable. I was like a starving artist working as little as possible so that I had time to obsess over things like white powdered gold. (laughs) You know, I didn't have $30,000 to spend. But I did all the research to to the point where if I had the money, I could have bought all the gear. And it was like only, I think it was only like five or six uh, expensive pieces of lab equipment. The, the main one being the ARC one. And I can't remember what that was called, but it was, uh, it, was an equi- it was a piece of lab gear, modern equipment that provides this ARC. It would be one piece of the ancient Ark of the Covenant, perhaps. <clears throat> So it is doable and it's not that hard. Like I, I can't remember, like I said, this is 2008. So this is years ago. I think I am going to uh, go down this rabbit hole again and piece together a, a lab, a list of, of uh, a recipe and a, and a list of gear because um, I'm becoming obsessed again. It is very interesting. Um, but yeah, it, like I said, you can do it. You can do it in a, in a garage. You don't even need that much space. It's not that crazy of a process. Of course, it is expensive because you're talking about gold as being your the thing that you're now taking from gold, which is now worth you know a couple thousand dollars an ounce, and turning into this white powdered substance that what you're you're going to eat it. <laughs> I mean, it's not the most economical solution to anyone's problems, but it's, I, I, I don't see it as a solution to any problem. I see it as uh, one of the most interesting bits of information that I've ever come across. Would you agree? Like when I was do, redoing the research this morning and taking notes, um, like I'm thinking, I'm like, why is not, why people, more people don't talk about this. It's not, if there wasn't all this um, evidence that it's legit, then I could completely see people not talking about it because it sounds like nonsense. It sounds like fantasy. <clears throat> but anyways, it ain't. <laughs> and it makes you wonder, like there's this new superconductor thing LK something, right? That's making all this hype. 
And I'm, I would not be surprised if they start, well, who knows? I'm not one to predict the future because I don't really even know what's going on right now. But what I was saying is these labs had their hands on it in the 70s. In the 70s and the 80s, it was labeled as exotic matter and studied as far as the Soviets in the public. These are the labs, you know, these aren't small places. These are all leading laboratories, like the leading laboratories that, are, that were publicly made aware of this, stuff, of this stuff that now we never hear about. The stuff that was written about by the ancients as a magical powder that could make people live longer, could make people teleport, could make people levitate, and could heal you. Probably could dissolve all the nanotech in the vaccines. You know, like that video on Dr. Mielcia shows of just regular gold. Uh, not regular gold. Colloidal, colloidal gold is um, is a different form of gold. I, I, I mean, I, I think technically it's not, but. I think it's almost like homeopathic. I don't know if that's the right word, right? It's like a homeopathic gold, which is, I think, legit. Yeah. So maybe that'll be the peace, love, freedom deal, right? When we put together the peace, love, freedom club. Call it a club now. Maybe we'll have a, a moof, moof cut factory. Moof cut. Moof cut factory. Be kind of cool. Make some moof cut. Uh, uh, okay, well, well, here's or one more story to wrap it all up. So... I obsess over all this in 2009. Um, I reached the dead end where I'm like, oh, $30,000? I can't, I can't, what am I going to do? Spend $30,000 and then start buying gold and turning in and, and experimenting, you know? And I know myself well enough to know that I'm probably going to have some failures, at least a couple, Probably who knows? I have hit a, I've have hit it out of the park on the first try a couple times, but usually I make mistakes at first. That's how I learn. Anyways, and then uh, that was like say two thousand eight, and then just a few years later, probably around two thousand eleven, I'm at an ashram. It's my first time at the yoga ashram, and there's a. A lady there who's been there, she's kind of there full time. She's cash only, <coughs> old hippie. She knows about all this white powder gold. So she she's, comes up to me, and this is how I meet her. I'm there as a guest or like a visitor. Uh, I don't know, that's not, the, that's not even the right word. 
there's, I'm sure there's a proper word for it. It's my first time experiencing the life, community life in a yoga ashram. There's a name for it. You can, you can, it's, you have to do at least a month, up to three months. I did three months. She comes up to me and she's like, hey, I want to buy this thing on the internet, but I don't have a credit card. Can I give you the cash and will you buy it for me? And I'm like, what is it? And she tells me that it's this magnetic orms trap. And so right away, I'm like, oh, that's this white powder gold stuff. And she's like, yeah, I kind of knew you'd be in. I guess she heard me talk enough about other stuff where she kind of was like, that That guy's a weirdo. <laughs> he probably knows about this stuff, so I'll talk to him. And she, so she was like, yeah, I figured you would know about it. Well, you get it for me. And I was like, yeah, let me check it out first. So I did some research, and I was like, yeah, I'll get it for you. So I bought her this thing. It, it, you can still find them. I think I actually talked about this on the podcast before. And um, I'm not recommending this thing, okay, because I don't exactly know what it's doing. But it's a pretty simple device. It was made out of PVC in magnets. I think there's directions on how to make it. And you run, a, 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 you run water through it. You need a water source, like a hose. And you run and water through it. And what it does is it, cons- it pulls th- using a magnet and... In a, in, a, in a cyclone movement, it's, it's pulling out metals, I believe, and it's putting them aside into a concentrated, like it has, a, it has two outputs. It has the output that you throw away or you put back into the source, and then it has another output that has this concentrated orms that's being caught and pulled out by this magnet cyclone thing. I'm not exactly sure how it works. That's why, I, that's why I'm not recommending it. Um, and in my opinion, this is only going to be a positive thing, if it's positive at all, if you have a good water source. And at this ashram, we had this great water source. It was a, a well, and um, so it was pretty, pretty clean well water. It's good stuff. And well water is also going to be guaranteed probably to have this gold, this orms in it. Just like just like the steam from the volcano probably had it in it too. Well water is going to have it in it as well. Apparently it's a little bit everywhere. And so this magnetic trap thing would, the argument is it's pulling out a concentrated dose of the orms. It's concentrating the orms, basically. It was only a few hundred bucks. She gave me the cash. I bought it for her. Uh, and then I wanted to try it, obviously, so I had her fill me up. I was like a liter of water that I chugged down before I went to yoga class. Went in, wide awake, um, lay down on my yoga mat, waiting for class to begin. And then almost immediately kind of fell into a deep dream state. And in that dream state, kind of like lost balance and fell over a cliff kind of thing. Cause it was like, yeah, we're basically in the dream state. I saw a rainbow plumed dragon that took me by surprise and knocked me off balance. And that's what knocked me out of the dream state was I felt like I was falling. You know, when you lose your balance in a dream and you feel like you're falling and then you're jolted awake. 
So that happened to me in a very short period of time shortly after drinking this water. And what I fell into a dream state, saw a rainbow plume dragon, was jolted back awake. (laughs) And that was kind of weird. And I wasn't on any drugs. And I was like, well, that was weird. I mean, that was noticeable. That was more than a placebo effect, I would say for sure. Um, she went on drinking it all the time and she died a few years later. So that's one of the reasons I don't recommend it. I don't know exactly what it was doing. It might've given you a big dose of orms, but it might've given you a big dose of heavy metals too, because if in my limited knowledge, like I looked into the schematics of how they made these things, it was a magnet had to do with a cyclone too, but there was this magnet. And so what, what would a magnet do is, is I would imagine it's going to pull all the metals. That would be iron. All, and there's a lot of iron in water. So it's going to be, I would imagine it's going to be full of iron and all kinds of things. And maybe, you know, maybe that's not healthy. I don't know. So there you go. If you want to know more about that, like I said, once again, the uh, the one-stop shop for all for basically all that information with sources is Lost Secrets of the Sacred Ark by Lawrence Gardner. Good book. And if you search YouTube for things like white powder gold or orms, you can still find videos of David Hudson, the farmer, telling his story. There's stuff out there. So that's it, folks. I hope you guys found it as interesting as I find it. I find that fascinating, you know, especially when you put the whole picture into perspective and then you just think about money and gold. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty wild stuff. I think it'll make a good Reese report. Look for it in September. And if you have any... Uh, suggestions for future podcasts throw them in the comments tell me what you think about this one we're going to try to keep them a little more uh centered on actual interesting subjects instead of rants and raves so i can keep things a little less mouthy a little more you know responsible and proper gentlemanly like i said we're going to evolve and grow in advance hope you guys are too hope you guys are keeping healthy hope you guys are doing things in your life to enrich it to become healthier and happier and survive this wild and crazy time. Love you guys. See you next week.